Over Easter, we did a mini-series in John's Gospel, looking at the Easter events as narrated by John. And there's one more occurrence that we need to consider. And that is Jesus appearing, not just to the 11, or the 10 disciples, I should say, but to the 11 and Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He's only mentioned in John, but maybe there are people here this morning who are not sure if they are believers. They are struggling with the same thing that Thomas had, doubts. So I do think it's right for us to look at what we have in the end of John chapter 20. It was two weeks ago when I was last preaching on this chapter, and it was on the first Sunday that he rose from the grave in the evening service that Jesus appeared to the disciples. This, this day isn't just something traditional. It's Resurrection Day. It's the first day of the week, the day in which we celebrate God's work of new creation. And we are meeting here every Sunday, not because of tradition, but because this is what the followers of Jesus have been doing since that first Sunday. We are coming here to worship a real risen Saviour. Agreed? But the disciples didn't just meet on a Sunday morning. They met also on a Sunday evening. Now, Sunday evening services are dying a death at this moment in the West. But on that first Sunday, it was during the evening service that Jesus came to them and said, Peace be with you. And then Thomas was absent that Sunday. A week later, Jesus appeared again in probably the Sunday evening service. Isn't that interesting? Now, I know it was two weeks ago I was uh, in this passage, but it doesn't matter. It could be a week or two weeks later. I believe it's significant. Jesus' resurrection appearances to his disciples were usually on the Sunday. This, my friends, is the day that the Lord has made. It's not about keeping rules. It really is the Lord's day. And you know what? Jesus loves meeting with his people we may be reluctant to come to church, but Jesus isn't. And my prayer for our services, morning and evening, today, and every week, whether it's me or Andy or a visiting preacher in the pulpit, is that Jesus will also come by his spirits and speak words of peace to our hearts. Now then, Thomas 
Thomas wasn't just his name. He was also called Didymus. Am I pronouncing that right? It's Didymus in Welsh. Didymus. Thomas is Aramaic. Didymus is Greek. And both mean the same thing. It means twin. Twin. We don't know who was Thomas's twin. We don't know. I think I know who one of his twins is. Me. Do you feel like you're Thomas's twin this morning? It's not just Thomas who is doubting, but you are doubting. We're all, aren't we, to a degree, doubters. Now, may Christ dealing with Thomas this morning help us. If we're not Christians, may it help us come and believe for the first time in this wonderful Saviour. And if we are believers, and if we're a bit like Thomas, may it bring us to say, my Lord and my God. Do you know, this is the high point of John's gospel. Not even Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene is as high up as this. Thomas's statement by the end of the chapter, my Lord and my God, is the highest profession of faith. My friends, if a Thomas can come to faith, There's hope for you and for me. And after this, John hasn't got any more to say in one sense because he gives then the reason for writing his gospel. Truly, Jesus did many other signs. And I've written about these in order that you might join with Thomas and believe. So if you are Thomas's twin, if I'm Thomas's twin, praise God, there is a saviour who can bring us to assurance. Let's look at Thomas. Thomas first, in the grip of unbelief. Isn't that a good description of unbelief? It grips you. It paralyzes you. It stops you from coming to Christ if you're an unbeliever. And if you are a believer, it really hinders you from following Jesus Christ. I think I know Thomas quite well. We first come across him in detail in John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. Jesus wants to visit Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and they're going to put themselves in danger. So do you know what Thomas says? Just uh, Here's a character profile of Thomas. Do you know what Thomas says? Let us also go that we may die with Lazarus. He's a bit of a cynic, isn't he? Is that you this morning? Let us also go that we may die with him. And then when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper and gave a wonderful sermon, uh, he said, I'm going to go away from you. I'm going to heaven. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So here's a man who is really confused. And Jesus, of course, answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know Thomas well. Thomas is a glass half-empty kind of person. Thomas is a person who has to have the evidence before he can commit himself. There's a saying, isn't there? I believe it when I see it. That's exactly what Thomas is like. Listen to him in verse 25. 
He says, the disciples say, oh, Thomas, we can imagine them talking, can't we? Oh, Thomas, if only you would have been there in that Sunday evening service, you would have been blessed by the presence of the Savior. But Thomas says, I'm done with these kind of airy-fairy things. I've got my life to live, thank you. I've wasted enough of my years following after fables. And then he says in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. I believe it when I see it. You know, there's a difference between a doubt and unbelief. Maybe you've got doubts this morning. Doubts. You want to believe in Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel Sunday after Sunday. You really want to put your trust in him. But there seems to be obstacles in the way. That's doubts. The language of doubts is, Lord, I do believe. I really do believe. Just help me in my doubts. Is that you? That's not Thomas. We shouldn't call him doubting Thomas. We should call him unbelieving Thomas. Because unbelief is worse. Unbelief says, not I can't believe, because there are too many obstacles. I will not believe, unless I have evidence. That's Thomas. Thomas is putting demands before God, isn't he? He's saying, unless I can actually put my finger in the wounds of Jesus, I won't commit myself in faith to him. In the Greek, it's even stronger. It's a double negative. Thomas says, I positively will not believe. I positively will not believe. I don't think Thomas's unbelief is like the unbelief of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, because they had evidence after evidence, didn't they? They said when they heard Jesus preaching, Lord, show us a sign that we may believe in you. And what did Jesus do? Not that he hadn't done them already. Jesus did a miracle, and they still didn't believe in him. And Jesus did more signs, and they still didn't believe in him. And they even went a step further, and they attributed those miraculous signs not to the work of God, but to the work of Satan. And so the Pharisees, with evidence after evidence, hardened in their unbelief. Now, that's not Thomas. That isn't Thomas. There is something genuine about Thomas's unbelief. I wonder, where are we at this morning? Where, where are you at spiritually? You're here in church, thank God. There's no better place to be. But where are we at spiritually? Is there somebody here this morning who's like the religious leaders? I hope not. Is there somebody here this morning who's heard the gospel Sunday after Sunday, and instead of softening, you're hardening every time you're basically saying, you may not say it in an outrageous way, but you're saying in your hearts, no, thank you. You're pushing Jesus Christ away. Church can be a dangerous place to be in, if that's our attitude. But there may be others here who are like Thomas. It's not doubts that you've got. You really 
are putting demands before Jesus Christ. You may not say, like Thomas, unless I can put my hands in his side. You may say, unless I have a certain experience, I won't believe in him. I was a bit like that when I was seeking Jesus for the first time. It wasn't Jesus I was seeking, it was an experience. Now, you don't seek for an experience. You seek Jesus Christ. The experience of Jesus Christ comes afterwards. It makes sense, doesn't it? Don't put demands before God. Who are we to make demands on God? We come to God empty-handed. Maybe there is somebody here this morning who's not like Thomas, but who is genuinely struggling with doubts. Can I say, at the risk of being misunderstood, I know exactly how you feel. I struggle with them as well. Actually, no faith is 100% pure. It's only Jesus Christ who's 100% pure. Our faith in him is always going to be mixed with some doubts. I just want to encourage you to say, Lord, I do believe. Help me. Help me. But there is something here that I want to mention about Thomas. Because of his unbelief, Thomas was withdrawing. He was withdrawing. Isn't that true of a person who's a cynic? It's as if they give up on life and they go in on themselves. Is there somebody here this morning or listening at home who's doing that? Thomas wasn't present in the church service on that first Sunday because of his unbelief. There was a young man called Evan Roberts and he heard Seth Joshua say in a meeting, don't miss a Sunday service. You don't know whether it'll be that meeting that the Lord comes. You can miss the blessing if you miss a service. And Thomas was like that, wasn't he? He was going in on himself. Do you know what, my friend? That's the worst thing you can do. If you're struggling with doubts, as well as unbelief, the worst thing you can do is keep away from God's people. I know it's feels like the right thing to do. They don't want me amongst them. I'll just drag them down. No, you won't. You're in the best place. I love the disciples here. They, they didn't shun Thomas. They tried to get Thomas to come to the meeting and thank God that he was present in the service on that second Sunday. You know, this is what one person says. Uh, the best thing that you can do is go among the people. It's true, isn't it? Just in everyday life, if you're struggling, if you're going down, 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 you don't withdraw yourself from people. It'll just take you further in on yourself. You try and go out for a walk. You try and mix with people. But if you're a Christian or if you're seeking, it's even better to be in church. And this person goes on to say, even if the sermon does not do anything to you, I pray that the sermon this morning will do you good, but even if it doesn't, the prayers, the praises, haven't you been blessed already by the singing? Haven't they been good hymns? Something, something will do you good. So, Thomas, Thomas, 
in the grip of unbelief. But he doesn't stay in that state, does he? He comes to a better grip. Do you know whose grip he comes to? He started off coming to the service in the grip of unbelief. Maybe somebody here has come to this meeting in the same grip. But in the middle of the service, we don't know at what point Jesus visited them. Were they singing a hymn? They were singing. You know, the early church, they, the church started off singing. Were they singing a hymn? Was it during the prayer? Was it during the long prayer that Jesus appeared? Doesn't that transform a long prayer? Was it during the notices that Jesus appeared? Imagine. Or was it during the benediction that Jesus appeared? Don't you love Jesus Christ? He gives another chance, doesn't he, to Thomas? I can imagine Jesus waiting till the very end of the service, till the amen of the benediction, when Thomas might have been so disappointed that nothing had happened. I can imagine Jesus coming when Thomas had given up all hope. So he's not long in the grip of unbelief. He's in the grip of Christ. That's what I want for you and for me this morning. Oh, to be in the grip of Jesus Christ. There's no better place to be. Even if you're not in church, even if you're stuck at home, even if you're in hospital, if you're in the hands of Jesus Christ, my friends, that's the best place to be. And what does Jesus do when he appears? Exactly the same thing as he did the week before. Exactly the same sermon. Peace be with you. Now that's a sermon worth repeating, isn't it? The evangelist George Whitfield, uh, he would say, unless I've preached a sermon about 200 times, I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not uh, gripped by it, or the sermon hasn't gripped me enough. Uh, well, I think it's worth repeating peace, isn't it? Peace be with you. Peace with God. Not having to go through religious ceremonies like poor Martin Luther on those steps in Rome. Jesus Christ is our peace. Praise God. As a result, peace within. It is well with my soul. But what especially does Jesus do here? He didn't do it as much before. What causes Thomas to believe? What did Jesus do? He said, peace to you. And then what does he do? He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, the nail imprints. Reach your hand here and put it into my side where the spear had wounded him. What is Jesus doing? He's not just showing his person. He's showing his wounds. Is there a Thomas here this morning? Is there somebody here who's struggling with doubts? Don't look within. Don't look to your faith. Look to Jesus Christ. But don't just look to Jesus Christ. Look to the wounds of Jesus Christ. If you ever go to Rome, and I thoroughly recommend you going, 
you can never get lost in the centre of the city because there's a monstrosity of a monument there. I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but it's, it's nicknamed the typewriter by the locals. It really is an eyesore. It's to celebrate Rome's first king in the 19th century. So wherever you are, the streets of Rome are a maze, a maze of cobbled streets. But wherever you are, you can get lost because you can see that monstrosity. And my friend, you can't get lost in your doubts and in your unbelief because there's not a monstrosity, but there's a beautiful sight. It doesn't look beautiful at first. It looks horrible at first. And it's a cross. And God says in his word, God's love is made conspicuous to us, is made obvious to us. What makes obvious the love of God? It's this sight. What is it? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Thomas is being urged to look at. That's what I'm urging every one of us here this morning, whether we're Christians or not, to gaze upon, even to survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died and look at the hands of Jesus Christ. Look at the nail prints. What was it that drove those nails into those beautiful hands? It was nothing less than your sin and my sin. He was paying the penalty for it. What was the spear that thrust his side again? It was our sins that caused that wound to happen. And what came out of his side? Blood and water. The blood of the Son of God that cleanses us from sin. The water that washes us. Praise be to God. It's the wounds of Jesus Christ that speak peace to a man, a woman, a child who feels condemned and hopeless and helpless. The cross of Jesus Christ speaks to us where we're at. You know, Jesus Christ didn't drive Thomas away because of his unbelief. He said to him, come, come, Thomas, come. And instead of being gripped by this horrible thing, let my hands, my strong hand of salvation, grip you, Thomas. Oh, they are strong hands, aren't they? The arm of the Lord in the Bible means salvation. They're strong hands, Jesus' hands, but they're tender as well. They're tender. They're tender. I was jogging a week or so ago and the lambs are out. The lambs. They look, they look so cute, don't they? Until they grow up. And there was one lamb on its own. If I would have had my phone with me, I would have taken a photo or a video of this. And the lamb was on its own because it was wounded. It was wounded. And the other sheep couldn't see this lamb. It was behind a little hill. So it wasn't too heavy. I lifted the lamb and put it within sight of hopefully its mother. Now, I don't know what my hands are like. They're not that strong. They may be gentle. But the hands of Jesus Christ. Oh, if you're struggling this morning with sin, who isn't? Who isn't? If you're struggling with doubts, with trying to believe in Jesus Christ, he's got tender hands. 
listen to him. One of the loveliest promises that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who are struggling, all who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at how he deals with Thomas. Thomas made demands, didn't he? Uh, let, let me just read them again. Unless I can put my finger. What does Jesus say to Thomas? Put your finger here. Unless I see the marks of the nails. What does Jesus say? See my hands. Place your finger into the mark of the nails. Place your hand into my sight. Jesus answers every one of Thomas's demands. But Thomas didn't believe because the demands had been answered. It was the wounds of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. The hymn says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, where do I look? Inward? That's what Thomas was doing at the start. He was going in on himself. No. Augustine said, faith is going out. Upward, I look and see what? The cross. See him there who made an end of all my sin. The grip of Christ. And then finally, very quickly, as a result, Thomas is in the grip of faith now, isn't he? He's in the grip of faith. One of the greatest professions of faith ever uttered in the New Testament, even the Bible, my Lord and my God. That was Thomas's response to the way that Jesus dealt with him. It was not because the demands had been met that Thomas decided that he was willing to believe. Instead, Christ's personal self-disclosure overwhelmed the unbelief and drew Thomas to Christ as a servant and a worshipper. Thomas is on his knees. Why? Not because he's examining the evidence. Thomas is on his knees because he's thanking and praising and worshipping Jesus Christ for dying in his place. You know, even this time of year, uh, during these uh, sunny days, it's sometimes not sunny at the start of the day, is it? And from my flat, I can see the sea mist sometimes. But only let the sun rise. And eventually the heat of the rays of the sun just burns the fog away. And the sun of righteousness rising here. It was foggy, spiritually foggy for Thomas at the start of this Sunday service. But once the sun of righteousness came in. And once Jesus Christ, the sun of righteousness, started shining. And once the beams of the sun of righteousness, once the love of Christ, Calvary love, shone into Thomas's heart. It burned the fog away. Oh, has the love of Christ been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? One ray of his love can burn the fog of unbelief. 
And all Thomas can say now is, my Lord and my God. We could spend a sermon just looking at that phrase. We're not going to, don't worry. But Thomas calls Jesus what? Lord. What does that mean? Thomas is trusting Jesus Christ as his saviour. But more than that, he's bowing the knee to him as his master. You can't have Jesus Christ as saviour unless you have him as Lord. He's God. That's self-explanatory. Jesus Christ is a man, but he's God. 100% divine, as well as 100% human. And the most important word is my Lord. It's repeated. And my God. Thomas doesn't just acknowledge Jesus Christ as a God or a Lord. But you are my Lord and my God. Have you called him my saviour? My Jesus. Leave this place this morning. Not with your doubts and your unbelief. If you're in the grip of them, Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. He that comes to me, even if he's doubting, I will never cast out. What do you do with your doubts and your unbelief? Don't ignore them. Don't say we shouldn't be talking about things like that. No, we can't hide things from God. What do you do with them? You bring them to Jesus Christ. One of my favorite artists uh, whose work is displayed in Rome is Caravaggio. He was a Renaissance artist. And he wasn't a nice man. He murdered somebody. And Caravaggio's artworks are noted for their realism. And so I think he's actually got an artwork, I didn't get to see it, on Thomas. And if you look at that uh, piece of work, you can see the way he portrays Thomas. That he's just honest. Uh, This is what we've got to be with God. We've got to be honest with him. There is no point having an outward veneer of respectability. God sees through that. Oh, bring your doubts to Jesus Christ. That's what he encouraged Thomas to do. That's what you have in the Psalms, where you have the heart of a man like David. David opening his heart, opens his fears as well as his hopes. So, don't come in here Or don't leave here as you came in. Cast your doubts. Cast your sin on Jesus Christ. Say to him, O infinite Redeemer, I bring no other plea. Because thou dost invite me. I cast myself on thee. I cast my sins. I cast my sorrows. I cast my doubts. I cast my soul. I cast my very self on you. Because thou dost accept me, I worship and adore. Because thy love constrains, I'll praise thee ever more. I'm not making demands, Lord. I need no other argument. Can you say this? I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. It is enough. The wounds... And that he died, not for good people, but for sinners 
like me. Enough that Jesus saves. That ends my fear and doubt. All you need to know is that this man received sinners. Jesus died for sinners. Do some reasoning. I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about that. And the Bible tells me that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Even the chief of sinners. Even a Thomas. You can reason from that. If he came to save, to die for sinners, he came to save and die for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. Praise God. He will never leave you. He will be with you. He will uphold you. Those hands, oh, the grip of Christ. I, I just can't say enough about the grip of Christ. He doesn't let go. Since the day I believed in him, he's held on to me. I sometimes feel that I've been hanging on by the skin of my teeth, which is, <laughs> that, that's the frailest description of faith. But all along, he's hanging on to you and to me. Oh, what a saviour, what a saviour. That's the signal for me to finish. May we be in his grip. Not the grip of unbelief, but the grip of Christ giving us the grip of faith for his name's sake. We're now going to sing together. This is like Thomas's statement, my Lord and my God. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands hath made. And when I think of God's own son, not sparing, sent him to die, that's the wounds of Christ. Let us praise him by singing this together.
Father in heaven, we're just like that uh, group that worshipped thee on that second Sunday after resurrection. We are just like Thomas. Uh, we're just great sinners. But we praise thee for a great saviour, an even greater saviour. And we thank thee. Uh, that he has borne our sins in his own body on the tree and he one day will take us home to the paradise city. Oh Lord our God, we just pray that every one of us here may know what it is to transfer our doubts, our sins, our sorrows completely to Jesus Christ and to proclaim with Thomas, my God, how great thou art Jesus Christ and now may his grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.